0: Welcome to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Located in El Dorado Hills, California, it is our mission to help others find and follow Jesus. We hope this message inspires, encourages, and uplifts you today. All right, so today I'm gonna talk to you about uh, one word and just one word only because this is a word that has such massive implications over you living what Jesus said he came to give back to you, which is what? Life and life to the fullest, right? John ten ten. he said there's an enemy, a thief, the devil, who wants to kill? He wants to steal from you. He wants to ultimately destroy you. He says, but I have come that you may have life and that you may have life to the fullest. And this word is so important that it is actually in the book of Galatians, one of what's called the fruit or the proof that the Holy Spirit of Christ is alive and well on the inside of you. But I gotta give you a warning right up top. This is probably the most elusive of the fruits and the proof of the Spirit living in us. This is one that is incredibly difficult because you don't get it by nature. It is a complete and total act of grace and nurture. And I'm gonna talk to you about this, this one word. You guys ready for the word? I'm gonna gonna explain it to you like this. There was a great theologian in my high school career named Axel Rose, and he wrote a song about it. And here's the word, you ready? Just a little page. None of you listen to that? I'm at the wrong church. I'm going down the street. Just a little patience, yeah, yeah, right? Patience, man. This is, this is a matter of peace. Patience is a matter of joy. Patience is a matter of life and life to the fullest, but like I said a second ago, it does not come naturally. Can I get an amen? Amen. If you think patience comes naturally, you just haven't had a newborn yet. Moms with newborns, where are you at in here? Anybody this morning in here? God bless you. We pray for you. But if they're for the 1,000 attributes of newborns that are just completely amazing and beautiful and wonderful, you quickly understand that they from birth possess absolutely no patience, right? Zero patience. When they're hungry, do you see any patience from them? No, wouldn't it be nice if they were born with patience and they're starving and they're hangry, but they, 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 because they're born with patience, they stop and go, you know what? I know this thumb doesn't have any milk in it, but that mom of mine, she just works and she gives and she gives and she gives. So I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna suck this thumb for now and I'm gonna trust God. I'll get my food in due time, right? They're like, no. That baby just screams and whines until there is a bottle in that baby's mouth, right? It's just the way it is. If you think patience comes naturally, you don't fly very much. I fly for a living and I flew Southwest to get here and you know how you get a, a certain letter and a spot to get your seat and then all the seats are free. It's like Hunger Games in there these days. It's crazy some of the antics people are doing to get the seat that they want. It's crazy. The delays... In the airport, or like never. I was flying a couple years ago home from Europe. I had been preaching in Europe for just a couple days, so I didn't get to go and enjoy. I was indoors the whole time, and I never got to get over jet lag because I was only there for a couple of days, and on my flight home, it was straight through from Frankfurt, Germany, back to Denver, Colorado, and on my way home, it was about a 10-hour flight, I sat in the aisle seat, and I happened to sit next to a lady who was on her first flight ever, and that's not a good way to start internationally, 10 hours, and uh, she was a German lady, so she didn't speak a whole lot of English, but we quickly became friends. And for this story, uh, we'll call her Olga, because uh, that was her name. <laughs> 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 and Olga, I, I want to put this tenderly and kindly, but Olga was larger in stature. Olga, or, or, <laughs> Olga, not Olga, she was amazing. Olga was a bigger lady, and she was having trouble getting the seatbelt on. I kid you not. And so she looks at me and she could tell I'm kind of a professional flyer. And so she asked me to help her get her seatbelt on. And I gladly, patiently said I would. And there was a degree of connection that Olga and I had that I never dreamed or thought I would have on a plane with another woman, right? Like I just, it didn't go well, is what I'm trying to say. Trying to get that, it took longer than I'd hoped. And there was more like interpersonal things happening than I wanted to. And anyways, we get the seatbelt on. And then it's a 10 hour flight. And because of, again, Olga's stature, She won the armrest game. You guys know what I'm talking about? Flying the oh-so-coveted armrest game? Like, for 10 straight hours, I didn't touch that armrest once, and all I wanted to do on this ride home was get some sleep so I could come back somewhat refreshed for my family. And again, although Olga was a little bit uh, of a a bigger lady, uh, you know what was tiny about her? Her bladder. I kid you not. Every 30 to 45 minutes, she was up, so I was up. So there just wasn't any sleep for 10 hours. We finally get to Denver and I literally at that point we were just like buddies I gave Olga a hug and wished her the best in the United States and I went through customs and customs in Denver is typically about a 20 minute deal right but it was one of those days where you know they got all the ropes out and there's just lines of people we look like just a bunch of ants on a hill and I literally for an hour and a half was stuck in customs after a 10-hour flight with Olga Then I finally get in my car, and it's at this point, it's 4.30 in the afternoon, and I'm real excited because me and my uh, family were going to go get an early dinner because I hadn't seen them for a little bit, and it's just one of the things we do, and I get on I-70, which is the biggest interstate in Denver, and I kid you not, it happened to be the day where there was a pileup crash, not just a little wreck, a pileup, and so there was one point where for 30 minutes on Highway 70, I didn't even move literally an inch in my car. And I was in the fast lane from the beginning because I have a lead foot. And that was a mistake because I was starting to get hungry about two hours into my ride home. I never ended up getting home till 7.30. And I couldn't get over uh, to, the, to the other lanes, the exit lanes, to get any food. Then my wife calls me and is like, hey, are you gonna miss dinner? And I just snapped. My wife is an angel. She did nothing to deserve that. But I, you, guys, you guys know it's like to be hangry, right? She got hangry, Chad. Now, I'm not the bastion of emotional stability when I'm well-fed, more or less when I haven't eaten for hours and hours and I'm stuck in traffic. And all of this little fruit of the spirit of Christ that my wife so deserved from me was just gone. Patience was, was gone. Why? Because I'm horrible with delays. And you are too, I know we're in church and we're gonna act all godly and some of you are on the spectrum a little more patient than the rest of us, but listen, we were not designed to do well with delays, but here's the rub, y'all, and here's why I wanna talk about patience today is because here's what I've learned in my time as a Christ follower. In the kingdom of God, delays are not only inevitable. If you're not in the kingdom of God, in life, delays are inevitable, right? But, but here's what I'm learning and why I'm so excited to talk to you about this thing called patience today is because delays are not only inevitable, they're necessary. God does some of his absolute best works during delays. Isaiah 55 says this, for my thoughts, hear God saying this, my thoughts, Hills Church, are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. He says, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts, excuse me, higher than your thoughts, to which I just say, well, then let the games begin, right? And I'm I'm gonna, at the risk of sounding heretical, I ask you to give me some grace. I'm gonna add a sentence to that scripture. And I know you're not supposed to add to the Bible, but I'm just gonna do this because I wish when Isaiah was saying this about the character and the nature of God, I wish he would have just added this one more sentence because although he didn't write it here, this principle, this truth is all throughout scriptures. I wish he would have wrote a comma there at the end of what we just read and then put put this up, what what I would have added. Just as the heavens are higher than the earth, Hills Church, so my timetable is not your timetable. Just a little patience, yeah, right? Second Peter would say it the same way in different words. The apostle Peter, he writes this in one of his letters. He says, do not forget this one thing, Hills Church, my dear friends, with the Lord, a day is like what? A thousand years, A thousand years is like a day. God is not bound by the space-time continuum that we are currently bound by. He is not bound, again, by dimensions like you and I are currently bound by. So up in heaven, a day is literally in the kingdom economy like a thousand years and a thousand years like a day. So when I say delays are inevitable and delays are necessary... This should not surprise us. It says, the Lord's not slow in keeping his promises. And then he says something good. He says, as some understand slowness. See, we have a completely different conception and ideal about what slowness is compared to what what it's like truly in heaven with God because a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. He goes on to say, instead, God is patient with you. Here's why delays are inevitable and necessary. Because God is patient with you. He doesn't want anyone, anyone to perish, but everyone to what? Come to repentance, to a changed mind, to change passions. And you know what that takes in us crazy human beings? It takes this thing called time. And God is just not in the hurry that you and I are. In the 1940s, some guy whose name I can't pronounce, a scientist and engineer, he was working on some nuclear vacuum something. I'm not even gonna try and tell the story right, but it was pretty cool when I read it. And while he was working with this nuclear vacuum, whatever it was, he had a piece of chocolate at work in his pocket. And while he was working a few feet from whatever piece of technology he was working on, that chocolate in his pocket melted. And there was no reason for it to melt. The temperature in that room was fine. And he started to realize there was a correlation between the technology he was working on and that piece of chocolate in his pocket. And three decades later, from that moment where that accident happened, we got this new piece of technology that would transform our kitchens for the rest of our lives. This thing right here, the good old-fashioned microwave, right? How many of you this week have at least once used a microwave? My hands up. Yeah, almost all, it's just a natural fixture in the modern kitchen now, right? And it changed the game in the 1970s and 80s when this came about because women were entering the workforce at a rate they had never had before. While still being moms, while still doing all the things they had done prior to that, now they're entering the workforce, and what's better when you don't have a whole lot of time than good old-fashioned leftovers? Can I get an amen, parents, Right? And this microwave not only made that more possible, it did it so quickly. And for most of us in this room, you grew up in the age of the microwave. It's all you've known. It's all I've known. I was born in 73, and that's right about when these things were coming uh, to be. It's all I've known. So the question, though, I've got to ask us, though, since we were born in this type of technological advancement era, what do you do when you were born and raised into a microwave society, but yet you serve a crockpot God, right? God is not a microwaver. God's like my wife. My wife, I told you the first time I ever preach here, my wife's not from this country. I married a woman from out of this country, right? She's from Alabama. She's a sweet Southern belle, (laughs) right? Well, here's what I love about marrying a Southern belle. She will not even look at a microwave. Right, like as she, the way she cooks, probably four to five days a week at my house, from morning until evening when it is dinner time, I am blessed with the smell of some type of meat in this crock pot all day long. Like I just got, like I mean, there's some downsides to marrying a girl from Alabama. You know, um, she doesn't have all her teeth, and she's got some other. Um, I'm kidding. She's got most of them, but she, she if she was here, I'd be so dead. She absolutely, like there's something in her that can't even remotely consist. She won't even microwave popcorn. You know how good microwave popcorn is? They've made it these days. It's amazing if you get the right brand. She won't even, she makes popcorn the the, the old school way. She is a crock potter. What do you do though? When you were born and raised into an era of advancements in technology that give us more time to, to use in any way that we've ever had, but yet you serve a God who for all the things that he is, one thing he isn't, you ready for this? He is not in a hurry. God's plans sovereignly will stand. God will get his way. The Bible makes that very clear. God's plans in the perfect time will come to fruition. God is not slow, as our pastor Peter told us in keeping his promises as as we understand slowness. He's just working on a different timetable because here's the deal with the microwave. Well, you get your food really fast, and I appreciate that, and there's a time for that. Here's what you sacrifice, at least two things. You sacrifice some flavor when you choose to get it faster, and you sacrifice some nutrients when you choose to get it faster. But man, when you, when you put this thing in the crock pot, the whole purpose of letting it sit in there for four to six to eight hours before you eat that meal is you are salvaging every last bit as you possibly can of the flavor and of the nutrients. And if I was speaking not to our bellies today, but speaking to our spirits and speaking to our souls, this is why God's timetable oftentimes on the front end can be frustrating to us when we're in seasons of delays. We're in seasons where there is an incredible amount of patience that is being asked of us. The, the thing I wanna encourage you with today is, is just a mindset set shift. Because here's when you start to believe that every delay, even the ones that aren't good, even the delays that are there because of your poor decisions are still being divinely used by God for good. You understand that? Isn't that good news? Even when you're in a holding pattern in life, Because of your own poor choices, God is still marinating something beautiful. God works all things together for the good, not of those who are perfect and never make mistakes, but for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. He is a marinator. He is a flavor saver. He is a person who cares more about the nutrients than how quick things get done because his plans will get done in you and through you, but it will be on his timetable, and so I just wanna do this. I wanna talk about for a few minutes what it looks like to wait well. And I'm gonna go back to selfishly today. I'm just gonna use, as I often do, the book of Exodus. You hear me preach much? I'll I'll always somehow find a way to get back to the book of Exodus. It's my favorite book in the Old Testament. I just think it gives us such a picture about what we humans are like. And so uh, to set up what I'm about to read in Exodus 13, for those of you maybe newer to church, uh, Israel, God's holy and chosen people for 430 years had been in bondage and oppression and slavery to the most powerful nation on planet Earth at the time, which was Egypt. And they had been doing what a bunch of you and I are doing in this season right now. They had been crying out to God, not for days or months or for the last year. They had been crying out to God for centuries now. Think about that. Because here's what I know, when you're, in, when you're in a season of delay or in a holding pattern and, and, and much patience is being required of you, it, one of the most frustrating things is when you are standing on the promises of God and it just feels like those prayers are hitting the ceiling and are bouncing right back into your lap. You ever been there before? Some of you, I just know statistically, because you're human, that's your season right now. You have been trying to be so patient and so faithful, standing on the promises of God and believing them to come into fruition for your life. And you're just almost at this point, you're just weary of praying the prayers. Because it just feels like time and time again, it's this endless no. And I just came again to encourage you today that, that, that it's never with God, him just ignoring you or being indifferent to your situation. It's always God marinating something that just takes more time than you'd hoped. It's always him up to something beautiful. But 430 years or so into their their journey, his cry, their cries are heard, and, and I'll fast forward this to get to what we're gonna read. They, they get delivered. God uses this prophet that we'll talk about in a couple minutes named Moses, right? He uses him as a middleman to, to go to Pharaoh and demand they be delivered, and eventually through some signs and wonders and plagues, Pharaoh finally just said, I think Yahweh's up, uh, just go, just take him and go. So they go. They're getting ready to leave Egypt. The only thing between them and their their newfound sovereign freedom is this this big sea, right? And what's God do? We sang about it a, a minute ago, the God of Moses who parts the sea, who opens up oceans. He's the same then and he's the same now, right? He opens up the ocean, splits the sea. We all know that famous moment. They walk through and boom, they're into their newfound freedom. They are now for the first time in 400 years a sovereign nation of nomads. But you know what he opened the sea into? It wasn't the promise that they had prayed for. Because 400 years they had been praying for the promise God gave their forefathers, which is that God had a land for them, a specific geographical plot of land that was full of what? Milk and honey, which was just an ancient way of saying surplus like crazy. kind of like America, like just endless amenities and endless surplus at your fingertips. Who wouldn't want that? Especially after you've been slaves for generations. Isn't it interesting, though, that when he parts that sea, which was a picture of their salvation, they don't immediately get all of the promises they've heard that come with salvation? Instead, do you know what they get? They get a crockpot. It's called a desert. That's another metaphorical term for us when we're in seasons of holding patterns. And seasons of delays is You can call them deserts because this is what they would get and it would be another 40 years before they would ever step foot into Canaan, the promised land. You think you're waiting for something? You think it's been a while for you? 40 years from getting saved to actually walking into one of the promises of God, which for them was the biggest promise. So this is where they're at. They're now at the entry point of the desert and in Exodus 13, it says this. When Pharaoh let the people go, hear this, don't miss this, God led them on the road, or excuse me, God did not lead them on the road through what? Philistine country. And then listen to what it says next. Though that was shorter. Why? He's not a microwave God. He's a marinator. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. See, God knows some things that they didn't know about how to get through the desert the best way. They just wanted to get there the fastest way. But he's like, man, they'll face the Philistines and the Philistines for the 400 years that they've been learning how to be really good slaves, the Philistines have learned to be the best soldiers on planet earth. Like they wouldn't stand a chance with them. If they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt and they said they were ready for battle to which God said, no, you're not. No, you're not. And so I wanna do this because you've heard in basic math classes, right, growing up that the shortest distance between two lines is, or shortest distance between two places is what? A straight line, right? So go ahead and put up one of these good old school Bible maps, right? You guys got these in the back of your Bible. This is exactly what we were just reading about. Right up there at the top where it says the land of Goshen is where what we just read was happening. Now, do you guys see that? It's kind of small and subtle, but up at the top of, of the screen there, you see those little purple slashes that are leading? Okay, that, those purple dots are actually taking you the fastest route from where they started to where the promises of God were, to where the promised land was, the land flowing with milk and honey, right? And again, the fastest, the distance between two dots and two lines is what, a straight line, right? So you think that's where they're thinking they're gonna go. Now that orange line is actually how they got there. (laughs) Is that not life right there? Like, and I understand them going south a bit because God's good and kind and he doesn't want them to have to face the Philistines when they don't have a clue how to fight. So I could see him taking them a few miles south of where the Philistine city would have been and then cutting back over. Look how far south down he goes. In fact, he goes, he takes them so far down south that they have to have have a a, a sea that gets in the way, right? Like, couldn't he just cut it up right above the sea so they don't have to have those big miracle moments? But I I think God knew what he was up to and I think God had some greater plans for them to see a parting of a a sea to, to build their Faith, right, because God's marinating them. He's working on their flavor and their nutrients. There's a whole lot of Egypt that God's gotta get out of them before they can effectively steward the purpose that he has for them. Then we get up here, going north again. It looks like they're on a good trajectory again. And then look at the wilderness of Zin. <laughs> What's going on there? You're just walking in circles, right? You're, some of you, though, you feel like that right now. I've been there a 100 times over. You're doing a lot of activity and getting nowhere. And it's frustrating, right? But the whole time you gotta remember that God is marinating, not microwaving. I found, a a, if if that map didn't didn't spell it out for you, I posted this on Instagram a couple years ago because it blessed my heart because it's just so full of truth, right? Your plan, especially when God's behind it. God's giving you a, a vision for your life. God's given you a directive. God's given you talents and skill sets and given you opportunity and ability in your mind. It's like, well, God's clearly the reason this is happening for me, so clearly that line's gonna go super straight and super easy. Come on, that's never the case. It's always down below what actually happens, right? This shouldn't surprise us. The wisest man in, in, in the scriptures, according to scriptures, King Solomon, he puts it this way. He says, in their hearts, humans plan their course. And my plan would have been that straight line. But the Lord actually establishes the steps. So you can just bank on the fact, Hills Church, that God's purpose for your life is almost always going to be rolled out and happen in a slower timetable than you would like. So the million dollar question today is this, and I'm just gonna spend my last few minutes doing my best to answer that. The million dollar question is this, is how do we be people who wait well? What's that look like? What's it look like to wait well? Because when you can get a revelation of just the few things we're gonna talk about today, and I'm not even gonna be able to cover how to wait well like holistically, I could have a whole bunch more points. But if you can just walk out of here with a renewed or a new revelation for what we're talking about here, I promise you it is a game changer when it comes to the joy in your life, when it comes to living life and life to the fullest because what happens is all of a sudden you recognize waiting seasons and holding patterns and delays as opportunity instead of opposition. You start to look at seasons where not everything's happening as fast or in the time frame you want, and you actually don't have to forfeit joy and peace. You can actually have an incredibly great attitude through those seasons because you know something that the world doesn't, which is, uh, yeah, I wouldn't have drawn it up this way, but that just means that God is up to something divine and beautiful in me right now. So the first thing is this. If you're going to wait well, and this to me is the most fundamental of all. That's why I said it first. If you're going to wait well, you have to make your peace with this. God cares more about who you're becoming than what you're doing. And let me just give you a balancing statement right up top. God cares about what you're doing. God has given all of us a design and a purpose. Every one of your days, the Bible says, was written and ordained in the book of the Lord before one of them has came to be. I'm not here to pit what you're becoming versus what you're doing. God loves what you're doing, but here's what I've learned about God. He will not sacrifice your character and your integrity so he can get something accomplished through you. And this is really good news. This will calm your heart down and give you more peace with God's timetable and his crockpot-like activity. God will never hurt you to help others. God cares way more about the person he's making you into than the mission he's called you to. And here's why. We get told repeatedly throughout scripture that God is sovereign, that he will get his way, that his purposes will stand. Acts 17 says there is nothing under heaven with which God needs from us. Here's the good news. God does not need you to accomplish his mission. You ready for the good news? He wants you to help accomplish his mission. Look, if we don't praise him, the Bible says the rocks will. God's glory will be manifested on earth one way or another, but he didn't design the rocks to ultimately be the the chief glory givers. He designed us to be. God is is like a father. Like say me and my dad can't fix a thing. It's it's embarrassing, okay? We cannot fix a thing, but let's just pretend for a second my dad was was, was like one of the greatest uh, uh, minds and workers of a car engine of anyone on planet earth. Some of you mechanics in here, that might be you. Like, let's just say my dad's the mechanic of, he's the Michael Jordan of all mechanics, right? He knows engines inside and out. And I'm a little little kid. And my dad, knowing that I'm going to cost him time, knowing that I'm gonna make the project so much harder, knowing that I am so incredibly ignorant as to the outworkings and the inworkings of an engine, would still rather have me under the hood with him out in the garage, than he would doing it by himself, even though he could do it so fast and so efficiently because he is the master at car engines, right? But what would the dad trade for for fastness? What would the dad trade so he could get something done quick and instead get something done slow? He'd rather do it with his son there. And here's what little kids do. They go in the house after, after they're done and they tell everyone in the family they fixed the engine and the father can hear it from the garage and he just smiles and goes, you did, buddy. Proud of you. And then the kid goes to sleep and guess who stays up all night? Dad, because guess what? God doesn't sleep. God fixes. That's why when I'm up here and I prayed even earlier, Holy, Holy Spirit, you have to do the heavy lifting. Holy Spirit, you're the, please, because I'm a kid. I'm when I, every time I come up to preach, it doesn't matter how many more years I do this. I am very well aware. I am just a little kid talking to you guys about an engine that I know very little about. So when I'm up here and I say a nice prayer like, Holy Spirit, please do the heavy lifting, that might just sound like a nice little phrase to you in a prayer. To me, it's just utter dependency. And there's been many times in my preaching career where I got done preaching and it kind of went well and I was like, do you see what I did? That was amazing. And God's like, you did great, buddy. And I'll just be up here cleaning up all the mess that you did up there that you didn't even know about in people's hearts and minds, right? but you go to sleep and I'm really proud of you. Hey, let's do it again tomorrow. Let's do it again next weekend. Okay. Cause that was a blast. God cares way more about what you're becoming than what you're doing. We've been born into a culture that is just so obsessed with achievement. And a lot of that comes from a lot of blessing, right? This nation's so blessed and We've been given so much opportunity because of the capitalistic approach and all these different things and all the freedoms that we have. But we have to be real careful because one of the shadow sides to that is we are obsessed with doing and achieving, right? And becoming, like I've never gone to a party and met some new people at a party or at a function and, and anyone asked about my character as we got to know each other. What is it always, hey, what do you do? Oh, I do this, I do this. Hey, what do you do? Hey, what you working on, big? What's going on right now? No one's ever at a hey. It's nice to meet you. My name's Tom. Hey, Chad, just a quick question. How's your character right now? How's your heart formation going? Is that going well? Is that working out pretty good for you? Just you know, that's never the instinctual question. But here's what's crazy. That's God's first instinct. Not what you're doing. He sustains with, 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 with a spoken word everything we're doing. That's very unimpressive with him compared to the thing he's put into our hands to be a part of, which is what are you becoming? And listen, here's, here's why this is so important today. Patience is because nothing will form flavor and nutrient into your soul and spirit more than seasons of waiting because it, it demands this thing called trust. And trust demands of us patience. Patience to trust that although I wouldn't have drawn it up this way and I don't love this season as much as I wish God would microwave me out of this thing, I am trusting that there is some flavors that are being salvaged in me and some nutrients being put onto the inside of me that in the long game are going to feed me better than if I just get everything, all the promises of God all at once real fast. And so God says, no, 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 hold on. I'm not slow in keeping my promises, as some understand slowness, but a day is like a thousand years to me, and a thousand years is like a day. I'm not in the hurry you are, so you gotta make your peace that God cares more about your character than your quest. God cares more about your character than your quest because he knows what we often forget. The only thing that's gonna save you on that quest from destroying yourself and eventually other people is character and integrity. And that is forged in the fires of waiting like nothing else. Moses, the, 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 the guy in Exodus that we read about so much, the deliverer, the great prophet, I, I think arguably the greatest prophet who, who ever lived a course apart from, from Jesus. When, when, he, when he grew up, he spent his first 40 years of his life as the prince of Egypt talk about a microwave life, he snaps a finger. Everything he wants is given to him in an instant. He's got hundreds of slaves and servants specifically designated just to do whatever he says as fast as he can possibly get it done to make sure Moses gets what he wants right away. For 40 straight years, this is his mindset and this is how he lives. So when God says, okay, that season's over. Now I want you, Moses, to deliver my people. Well, the time between him saying, I want you to deliver my people out of Egypt, to the time he actually delivered them out of Egypt. You know how long that was? 40 years. You know what he did for those 40 years? He herded sheep. You have to be incredibly patient to deal with animals as stubborn and stiff-necked as sheep. But I believe multiple times God would call the children of Israel in the desert stubborn and stiff-necked. So God's like, Moses, like like I, I got you out of Egypt geographically, but now I got to get Egypt out of you spiritually. Like I, I don't microwave things. I'm a crockpot God. I'm a marinator, Moses. And so I need, what I need from you is just two things, Moses. I need you while you're herding sheep. I just need you to trust the process. It's going to feel like a huge divine downgrade, <laughs> huge downgrade, but it is divine. I'm gonna need you to trust process and I'm gonna need an immense amount of patience from you. You are gonna grow frustrated when you have left all of these amenities and this get it quick spirit and mentality and you're starting to marinate now. I'm gonna get that Egypt stuff out of you so you can actually go deliver them, not just from Egypt, but get the Egypt out of them as well pastorally. I'm gonna use you to do that, but I'm gonna need 40 years because it was 40 years of this, so I'm gonna use 40 years to, to get this mentality out of you. King David, let's get out of Exodus for me. King David, right? He gets anointed as king and he, he was the greatest king Israel's ever had. He was so incredibly important to the story of God that multiple times in the gospels, Jesus is referred to as the what? Son of David. But David was the second king ever in Israel. There was a king that, that went before David named Saul. If you know the Bible at all, you know that that story turned out really bad and you wanna know the difference between Saul and, and David? Because in a lot of ways, they were very similar people. In a lot of ways, they were very similar. David had almost as many issues and problems as Saul had. You wanna know the difference between the two and their kingship and the way it played out? Saul got anointed to be the first king of Israel because Israel demanded it. They wanted to be like the rest of the world and God was like, I'm, I'm a God of prophets. I don't, we don't need kings, I use prophets. And they're like, no, we want a king. And so God's like, okay, I'm gonna teach my people something. This is gonna be the long way. This is gonna put them in a season of holding but I'm gonna give them a king. They anoint Saul king. Seven days later, he becomes king. Seven days later, he's sitting on a throne. One week, we want a king, God answers their prayer. Boom, you got a king after one week. Now, it started out pretty good. There was a really cool honeymoon period for a while. But the ending of Saul's story is tragic. He ended up giving us a masterclass on how to become a narcissistic leader and how to create the most toxic culture possible. King Saul. Seven days, he got microwaved onto that throne. King David got anointed to be the next king of Israel when he was 15. 22 years later, he became king. Seven days, 22 years. One got microwaved, ended tragically. One got crock-potted. We now read his writings and talk about him almost every week at church, right? The Apostle Paul has this radical mystical moment where he gets knocked off his horse. He gets blinded for three days. He gets saved by Christ. He puts his faith in Christ. He gets this incredible vision of Christ. He gets this incredible vision of heaven. He would go on to tell us about it in the most writings in all of the the New Testament. Galatians 1, you can go back and read it. Galatians 1 tells us the very first thing Paul did after those three days of being blinded and knocked off to his horse. It says in Galatians 1, and I paraphrase, he goes, I didn't immediately, I didn't microwave myself into ministry. He goes, I didn't immediately go to Jerusalem and hang with the big boys, the super apostles. He goes, I didn't immediately consult Peter or James or John. I didn't go to all of the the big wigs now, the big players in the new church, the disciples. He goes, you know where I went? And it tells us in Galatians one, he went there for three years. I went straight to Arabia. Now, modern day Arabia, where Paul would have been, has got some really cool redeeming features about it now, some cool cities and some modern stuff. But Arabia back then was just desert, nothing else. Paul's like, the first thing I did after I was already told from God all of the missionary work, the greatest missionary to ever live, the first thing I do is go into obscurity and wait and the amenities aren't as good as they used to be. But do you know what Paul had to get out of them? Like years of self-righteous, law-focused living. He's, he told on himself, he was incredibly self-righteous, thinking he was better than everyone else. How is he gonna preach justification by grace through faith? It is not of works, lest any man should boast. How was he gonna preach that with integrity when he had just yesterday came out of the most self-righteous lifestyle ever? Where'd he need to go? Holding pattern, desert, three years of delay. Paul was a violent man. Paul was one of the people responsible for killing early Christians so that they could thwart and stop the movement. There was violence on the inside of Paul. He was okay with murdering people simply to hold power. He was a violent human being. You don't just magically not be violent anymore. God's like, Paul, we're gonna go and we're gonna get alone in the desert. We're not microwaving your missionary ministry, as important as it's gonna be for the kingdom. Because it's so important for the kingdom, we're gonna crockpot you, so you're gonna go to a place with, with, without a lot of cool aesthetics and amenities, but there's gonna be tons of opportunity to have your character developed and built. Why? Because I'm playing the long game, because I'm not in a hurry like all you crazy humans are. God cares more about what you're becoming than what you're doing. I'm gonna skip point two, it's such a good point, but I talk too long. Um, And I'm gonna just, I'll take point two at some point and we'll do a whole Sunday on it. In fact, I should have just done one point, but I'm gonna try and sneak in this last point and then we're gonna take communion together. Skip point two, we'll go straight to point three. Point three is this, this is so important if you're gonna be a person who waits well. You have to watch what you worship while you wait. Have to watch what you worship while you wait. And I get this from the book of Exodus again. Remember that big circle? where they were doing a lot of movement but not getting anywhere towards the promises of God. Remember that circle we saw on that map that I mentioned? I wanna bring that up for a minute because that's the famous moment in their 40 year journey experience where Moses went up on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights to get God's revelation and vision for how to get closer to the promised land. And they were all for it. Israel was like, go our leader go go up on the mountain now what moses didn't tell them it was 40 days and 40 nights they thought it was probably like a day hike spiritual journey day you know self care day like i'm just going to go hike and then i'll be back and god's going to tell me cuz they knew god god always was telling moses stuff they didn't know he's going to be gone 40 days and 40 nights they're tired of being in the desert they're tired of hearing about this promised land, these promises of God, this surplus, and they're stuck in the desert and he's going to get uh, some laws from God and he's gonna be there 40 days and 40 nights. So do you know what they quickly do? They get the leader down there, Moses' brother Aaron, and they say, hey, Aaron, Aaron, uh, Moses is talking to Yahweh, that's cool. We're, we're, we like Yahweh now, he split that sea for us, that was awesome. But we wanna tap into some of the old gods we learned about in Egypt before we were saved. And so we're gonna get all the gold, all the plunder that we took from the Egyptians that ironically, God was the one who gave them favor so they could even have that gold and that plunder. And so they took out all their nose rings and their gold earrings and they threw them into a pile. Now this is almost 2 million people. So can you imagine the amount of gold that was being melted into this pile? They melted all the gold into the pile. (laughs) The irony is the only reason they ever had that gold in the first place was because God gave it to them as a gift on their way out. It was plunder from the Egyptians. God says, I'm going to turn their hearts and I'm going to favor you. So you, just, you don't even have to fight them for it. Just go ask them for it. It was like God giving them an immediate party and an immediate gift in salvation. And not long later, because they're tired of waiting, they're using the gift of God to now fashion into false idols. So God, Moses, do your thing with Yahweh. He's got some credibility with us now. Clearly, he's done some, some miracles amongst us, but we're gonna do what we, we've grown up doing, what we were born and raised doing. So you go up and marinate all you want, Moses, but down here, we're gonna microwave. We're gonna burn some gold down and we're gonna turn into golden calf and there's all this kind of Egyptian polytheistic worship we're gonna tap into and we'll just see which one, which one gets us there because cause, cause we want the promises more than the process, Right? And here's what I love about Moses. Really cool ending. I'm giving you such a cliff notes today. This might be why Moses is just like my guy. Moses is almost about to die. They finally are on the precipice of walking in to Canaan, the land of milk and honey. They've already received report. It's everything God promised it would be. Guys like Caleb and Joshua had already came and said, man, it's unbelievable. Moses is super old. This is like his big reward for all of his faithfulness. While everyone was so rebellious in that desert, Moses just stayed true to God. And we know from the story, Moses never even gets to step foot into Canaan. And you know, do wanna know why? Because he delayed going in right when they could have. He delayed it even longer because God was angry with Israel and called them stiff-necked and rebellious. And Moses, right when they're like, let's go, Mo, lead us in, you first, we're here. Moses says, I will not. He says, excuse me, we will not go into the land of milk and honey because God doesn't want to go with us. <laughs> and if his presence isn't with us, I'm not going into the land of milk and honey. So we're just gonna wait longer till we're ready. We're clearly There's clearly not enough in nutrients yet for us to steward this well because here's the deal. You can have all the milk and honey in the world and without the presence of God, it'll never be what it was meant to be it just becomes an idol and ends up destroying you in the end. And Moses knew that. So he's like, I'm, I'm willing to wait even longer because something's not right about this yet. We're not ready yet. So Moses has taken leadership over not just his soul because he had done that for 40 years and now he's taken leadership over all of their souls. And all I'm asking us to do today starting with me is that we would just take care of our souls today and be like asking really self-aware questions of like, man, because some of you, here's the truth, you're just in a holding pattern right now. And you know how I know that? Because I am in many ways, and I won't share my story, it's boring to you guys and doesn't matter. But I've been for about the last four years in one of the most difficult holding patterns I've ever been in. And one of the greatest temptations, and I'm not proud of this, but I will tell you the truth, one of the greatest temptations I've had in this holding pattern for the last four years is to go back to some of the idolatry that I had before I got saved. Give up. Try it my own way. I have been so tempted, more than I ever thought I would at this phase of life, to take things back into my control and start doing things the way the world does again so I can get back to that ideal of whatever I have I supposedly think I deserve, instead of waking up every day and just going, no, 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 I am going to be ruthless about watching what I worship while I wait I don't want to make a bunch of gold. Because here's what, here's what Israel was doing. They were coping. They wouldn't have known that then. I don't even think they used words like that then, modern psychological term. They were coping. You know what they were doing? Let's put it even more common terms. They were numbing. Greatest temptation, you and I. We are pros at this, are we not? When, th- when you're just tired of waiting... It's like, I don't have it in me anymore to wait faithfully on the promises of God, so here's what I'm gonna have to do to stay sane. I'm gonna numb my way through this season. The rest of this season, I'm gonna numb my way through it. And I could go down the lists, but we all know, we're all adults in here, come on, we know, I could go down the lists of of the ways we numb, but, but you already know the way you're most prone to numb, to cope, but we have two choices while we're waiting. We can cope or we can hope. Coping is so tempting because the results are immediate. It's like pain medicine. It doesn't fix the problem, but it sure numbs it for a minute, right? And it feels good for that few minutes while it's numbing it, but, it, but you, still got the, you still got the pain when it metabolizes and goes away. This is, this is what coping does. It's just delaying the inevitable and, and bringing it back again and then then it's what starts out as coping ends up becoming what the Bible calls a stronghold. It starts to get starts to get your heart, it starts to become a habit. We call them in this in our world. we call them addictions, right? It starts to, to take over and you never intended for that. You were just trying to cope through through a difficult season of delay and waiting and and, and a vulnerable season of unanswered prayers from God and and this is when, when God, listen, God loves seasons of waiting because what He's what he's doing in you. But you know who loves seasons of waiting the second most? The enemy. The one who wants to kill, steal, and destroy you. He loves them too. Why? He, he'll, he'll give you your seasons of milk and honey. He'll, he'll lay off you a little bit sometimes in those seasons. But man, when he's got you in a vulnerable season of waiting, he's gonna start bringing back the temptations to idolatry again. Those, whatever the golden calves are in our life where we're like, God, I'm gonna, I am gonna, I still got Yahweh. I'm coming to church on Sunday and I'm gonna take communion and I'm gonna pray and believe and walk out feeling a little better for a minute. But by Wednesday, when all the church fills are gone or Thursday or Friday at the club, I'm gonna kinda do it Egypt's way again. I'm gonna kinda take control. And, and that's when some of the worst, most unnecessary, unfortunate mistakes and decisions in our life start to happen. So I just, just say, God, just watch what you worship. Know that about yourself, you're gonna be more prone to get in more mischief in waiting seasons than you are in seasons where God in his kindness is actually letting some promises come to fruition. And, And here's what's really encouraged me through this season. There's a book right after Exodus called Joshua and it's all about the promised land. Guess where they had more fights and battles than they did in the desert? In the land of milk and honey. Problems don't go away when promises come to fruition, they just get different. Problems are something we will steward for the rest of our life. Difficulties are something we will steward on this side of heaven for the rest of our life. The Bible just screams that to us. It's like preparing, hey, until you breathe your last, you're going to be in a series of difficulties. And it's not a reflection of your faith. It's not a reflection of the goodness of God. It's a reality of a sinful world we live in. But listen, you're gonna have an eternity of perpetual peace and joy and goodness, pain-free, no crying, no tears, no death. But on this side, you're, going to, you're gonna have to go through some things and so Roman five says, we not only rejoice in the good things, we also rejoice in our sufferings. Listen to this, he goes, here's why, suffering hard seasons, waiting seasons, divine delays, holding patterns. Let's add that to some suffering because that can feel like suffering sometimes. It says suffering in Romans 5 produces perseverance. Perseverance, it says, produces character. And here's the good news. Character produces hope. And it goes on to say, and hope will not disappoint you because God has poured out his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. I flew all the way from Austin, Texas, with a smile on my face. So excited to talk to you about this message because some of you need to hear this today. And for those of you who are in a different good season, first of all, I celebrate it with you. I'm happy. I've been there before, I'll be there again. Those are fun seasons too. But keep this message in your back pocket, would you? Because seasons of waiting is just cyclical. They're inevitable. But for those of you who say right now, in fact, let's just have an honest moment in church. If you're in here right now and you say, I'm in one of those seasons right now, like you Chad, I'm in a holding pad, I'm in a, div- a delay and it, it doesn't feel real divine. I trust what you're saying, but I'm, I'm struggling, man. I'm struggling. It's hard to believe in these seasons of waiting that God's doing some of his most beautiful work, that he's working on the flavor and the nutrients. It's hard to see that. And I've been so tempted to take things into my own control and just microwave myself through this with the world's tactics. If that's you in here, would you just raise a hand right now? Because we wanna pray for each other. My hands up, I'd have both of them raised if I wasn't holding this mic. There's a lot of hands in here. If you don't have your hands up, we celebrate with you. Would you look at the people that do have their hands up? There's hands up everywhere. People online, at home, if you're watching by yourself, be weird for a minute, just put your hand up. God sees, God sees. Like, look at these hands. If you're blessed right now, not that need to have one up, could you be a minister to these people right now and can we pray for them? Can you just pick one hand, see one hand, maybe two, and as we pray over each other, can, can you just be a blessing to them and pray for them right now? And can you just know, and we'll, we'll take communion on our, our way out here, but can you just know by faith, I, I need to quit repeating myself and just trust the Holy Spirit is embedding this into your hearts but God is doing some of his best work in you right now. Please hold on. Please do not grow weary in doing well, for at the proper time, you will reap a harvest if you do not give up. Please just wake up and say, all right, God, flavor and nutrients, have at it. I'm gonna just be faithful today. I'm just gonna put in another good day of trust and patience and trust you with the time frame. I got faithfulness today, God. You take time frame. God, I'm on faithfulness. I leave time frame up to you. Let's pray for everyone who had their hands up. Jesus, you saw those hands. You knew before they were coming to church those hands would be up. You know their story better than they even do. You know the ins and outs and the intricacies of it. And God, we just ask right now for ministry to take place. Holy Spirit, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that you would just flood this place with your kindness. I pray that the spirit you put on the inside of us called patience would rise up. There there would be a new conviction and excitement and passion to be patient people through these difficult holding patterns and delays. God, I pray that you would be so kind to everyone who had their hands up, God. I pray that you would give them a fresh revelation that you are with them and that you are for them and you haven't forsaken them, you haven't forgotten them. You are marinating right now. You are doing some of your finest and best work and it is always, to send them out to do some fine and great work. God, I pray they would walk out of here so encouraged. For everyone who didn't have their hands up, God, we just celebrate with them that they're in a different season. For everyone who's been on the receiving end recently of a lot of the promises of God and it almost feels too good to be true, don't you feel bad one bit. We celebrate with you. We thank you. May you be some of the energy and example for us to keep chasing after. God, I pray blessings on every single person in this room. And now, I love, I love how you guys end every week, no matter what, with communion. You're literally, the name of your guys' city, Sacramento, literally is from this thing right here. You know that, the sacrament? Your, your, your city, your area was literally named after, originally, this, this city was originally designed to always keep Jesus in the forefront of their eyes. Think about that. There's no mistake there. That was the spirit with which Sacramento and the surrounding areas was was founded. The literal name was We Will Remember Jesus. The sacrament, this will be a place where the sacrament is holy. And this church has carried on that tradition by no matter what, even when the preacher preaches too long We, we do the last thing as we remember Jesus. So I could give you a 1,000 different things to think about as we take communion for the next 30 seconds or so. I'll just give you one thought. Jesus spent 30 years as a human in obscurity. He spent three and a half before he died becoming really well known. He spent 30 years, the Bible says, growing, marinating in wisdom and in stature. Jesus, the son of God, but also the son of man, like he played, but he chose to play by our rules. He chose to come down here and say, no, I need to marinate as much as these humans do because sin's a part of this world. And he did it perfectly so that when we do it imperfectly, there's no condemnation. You just get to start again smarter. You just get to try again. You just get to keep going. Some of you feel like I've been failing on this season of delay, Jesus says, well, I fulfilled that delay for you. I did it perfect for 30 years. I was on a divine delay perfectly. I lived in obscurity and nothingness perfectly. And I did it without sin. And I did it with perfected patience. And I died on a cross to transfer that perfected patience to you. So now just get back going. You're okay. I love you. You are loved today. This is one of the thousand reasons that we eat and we drink. So if you guys will take that cup and if you guys will take that little wafer And if you will just for 30 seconds before we wrap up, just thank Jesus that you have another day to walk in faithfulness and to walk in patience. I love y'all, church. Thank you for listening to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you haven't already, give us a rating so we know how this has impacted your journey with God. To learn more about us, visit our website at hills.church. We'll see you next time.